Kobe Hastings is one of the most exciting young entrepreneurs in Lexington. We talked to him about everything he's worked on from Hydro to the Watch Studio to Tech 29 and now to Lead Rilla. He's transforming the insurance lead game right in downtown Lex. You won't want to miss this one. Let's do it. All right, welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. Nate Antetomaso here in Chicago, Illinois, down in Lexington, Kentucky. My buddy, my pal, Evan Knowles. How you doing? Good. It's been uh, super busy lately. Yeah. A lot going on. Good way, bad way? Um, More so just hectic. I mean, it's not actually good <laughs> or bad. Uh, I just got a, a house, so that there's a lot that comes along with that. Yeah. And so I've just been like working on refrigerators and washer and dryers. And are you done unpacking yet? Uh, yeah. I mean, it took me like a half a day to unpack all my stuff because I've never lived in more than a bedroom. And then I just <laughs> buy like a four four bedroom house, and I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I so. feel like it probably looks like a, a frat rage house right now. <laughs> it's pretty much completely empty. So basically, yeah. it looks like we're throwing parties there all the time. <laughs> Let's actually do it. We should. Well, a housewarming party. Yeah. Well. We can talk about that later. I, we're definitely doing that. So everybody, all the listeners look out for an invite there. Yeah, you're going to give away my address again? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Just go ahead and say it. No, I'm good. <laughs> uh, so we're recording again on a weeknight here. We are so happy to be joined by Kobe Hastings. Kobe, how you doing, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for uh, for recording with us. So, Kobe, I know we had kind of circled each other for a, for a couple of years between some projects I was working on and some stuff you were working on and Evan as well. Evan, do you kind of want to go into your recent dealings with Kobe and how we got him on the show? Yeah. So I've got a cousin uh, who I grew up with named Madison Mauser, um, who is in the startup space as well here in Lexington. And he's been working with Kobe for the last what, two years, three years? About two years, yeah. Two years. Well, we actually met about four years ago. Yeah. Intern. Yeah. So uh, him and Kobe were friends and I've been working together on a few projects. And, you know, aside from Madison, I kept hearing, you know, things about Kobe in the space and the projects he's been working on, the companies he's been building. So uh, just kind of been keeping up with him. And then finally I met him through Madison and said, hey, let's get lunch. And you know, we've become friends over the last year or so. So how to get him on and hear his story because he's got a cool one and he's, you know, definitely a very talented entrepreneur. So a lot of good uh, learnings that we're going to take out of this, I'm sure. For sure. And he also has the pleasure uh, and honor of using this brand new mic setup we've got. So hopefully the quality on this episode sounds <laughs> pretty good. We've got a brand new mic. Yeah. Let us know what you guys think about the quality. So Kobe, we got like all these different connections to you. Do you want to kind of go through a little bit about your background you know, where you're from, how you grew up, and then we can jump into some more recent projects that you've worked on. Yeah, for sure. So I'll kind of give the, the fast track of my career. Um, started back when I was in high school. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. I mm-hmm. uh, went to Mail High School, um, which actually USA Today announced today. They're the 18th ranked uh, football team in the nation. So uh, oh, don't be talking about the go Bulldogs. Uh, <laughs> maybe in my senior year, they beat us and we, uh, we threw like a Hail Mary pass. And we were just yards from beating them. Uh, and that was the last game of my high school career. Uh, and I, I definitely 
you'll cry after that. <laughs> like they caught the Hail Mary pass and then did Yeah, the so touchdown? like Charles Walker, who played for UK, uh, was throwing a pass and like took it all the way up the sidelines and like caught it. And I thought he was going to score a touchdown and they barely got him. It was <laughs> awful. It's like it, it was terrible. But anyways. Yeah, so, uh, so now high school, that's where I, I grew up in Louisville, went there, um, and actually got into coding. I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer uh, at heart. Um, just happened to stumble into entrepreneurship. Um, but took a web design class when I was 16 years old. And literally the week, uh, like I, remember, I can remember to this day, like the first week in that class, like I, it just consumed me um, and just kind of took over my life. It's like all I did. <laughs> um, and so like I just got into it. I was just engraved into it. Um, and actually about three months after I started learning it in that course, I started a web development company in Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. built websites for local local businesses. Um, had about twenty uh, clients to build their website. Um, did graphic design stuff, like you know, business cards, flyers, stuff like that, little stuff. Um, but it just consumed me, and it's like it's what I did. I'd stay up late at night, um, just like doing it, sitting on the computer. Uh, and that that was like up until I graduated high school. So I did that for about two years. Um, and I went off to college. I went to Eastern Kentucky university, um, got a degree in computer science. Um, when I went there, I tried to do the business, um, you know, work remotely for my clients. It didn't really work well. Um, just cause busy with school and stuff. So I passed those clients off to people I knew back in Louisville. Um, and then during my time at Eastern, I worked, uh, at a software company down there, um, as a lead engineer. Um, we built software for um, kind of mid to mid mid-sized businesses, um, kind of in the tri-state area, uh, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, um, and then I worked there until I graduated from Eastern uh, in 2015 with a computer science degree. Um, and I was approached by somebody I had met um, during my time at Eastern, Lamar Wilson, who was a founder mm-hmm. of um, Hydro, which was um, a blockchain startup. Um, so immediately when I graduated college. Mark hit me up. He said, Hey, we just raised a, a seed round. Um, we're hiring engineers. We're ramping this up. Here's the goal. Here's the vision. And I just fell in love with the dream that they had there. Um, and so I moved to Lexington, started working with uh, Lamar and Leif Taylor is the other co-founder mm-hmm. there. Um, and I was there for about three years. Um, we were, we had investment from Tim Draper out in the Valley, um, 500 startups, Thomson Reuters, um, had a pretty good slew of investors that were backing us um, and an awesome idea and just tackling that blockchain um, industry in the very early days. Um, so I was there for three years. Uh, we grew the company to, uh, I believe 12 was the biggest. Um, and I, I was, I led the engineering team there. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, now we're kind of getting close to close to now <laughs> the past couple of years. Um, so I stepped away from hydro and kind of went out on my own and, yeah. Um, just, you know, I wanted to start my own company. That was, you know, my ultimate goal. Um, and, you know, they supported me in doing that uh, for sure, like a hundred percent. And basically what I did when I started my first company, it was it's tech 29. Um, and we were a, uh, basically a blockchain software house. You know, I understood mm-hmm. blockchain. Um, it was, you know, blockchain is a huge buzzword, uh, but the technology behind it is, um, it, it's very powerful, very, very secure. Um, and over the next five to 10 years, you're going to see a lot of things come out uh, with blockchain technology, um, whether it's in the financial industry and in insurance, real estate, there's so many verticals it can be applied to. Um, so 
when I started Tech 29, I basically started freelancing on my own and reaching out to clients that I had met in my time at Hydro. Um, you know, we worked with very large banks um, and executives in those banks. So I, I kind of built a pretty good network of people that just knew me and knew my mm -hmm. engineering background. So I kind of leveraged that to go find new clients um, and really just build enterprise grade software um, using blockchain technology for whatever use case that that bank needed um, or yeah. that corporate needed. Um, so we did that for about uh, two years. Um, I got, I hired six engineers. Um, we slowly added new projects. Um, we had a bank in Singapore that we did work for, um, Standard Chartered Bank. Um, and then we had some corporates. We actually built some software for Microsoft and Oracle here in the States. Oh, wow. Um, and so we built these it's pretty, pretty good list of clients, um, high paying clients. So they, you know, they kept the lights on. We were able to pay engineers well. Um, but for me, you know, I, I, I ne I've never wanted to be a, you know, I don't want to rely on clients my whole life. I, I never wanted to be in the consultant business. Mm -hmm. um, it's just what I knew best at that time. I mean, my dream for building a company was, um, you know, I wanted to build a product that I owned and like my company owned and the people that were building it, um, you know, were vested in it and they, they believed in it. And it was really something that was going to change an industry or change the way the customers use it. And it just adds value to the world in some way. Um, and when I started Tech29, I just didn't know what that was. So I did what I knew best and I built blockchain software. Um, so that kind of brings us up to where we are now. Um, you know, building Librilla and uh, there was another company we tried to build, Phil. Uh, yeah, we'll get into that too. Yeah. Because that's how so, Madison was working on that one. Pretty that's heavy. kind of the fast track of where, yeah. how, how I got to here. So. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit yeah. to, you know, you said you fell in love with coding and coding is one of those things that's just so important for people to learn nowadays at an early age. And it sounds like you did and really enjoyed it. What, what did you enjoy the most about it? And what kind of message do you have for, you know, people that might be considering, you know, learning about coding? I think what got me into it, like what made me just be consumed by it is like the fact that you can build literally anything from nothing. Like we were learning how to build um, basic websites. And like before I knew how to code, before I knew how to do anything, like I never knew like how a website was made or how anything was made, like a graphic or a logo. Like I thought the people, I, people were just nerds and they came up with it and it just happened. <laughs> yeah. But like once I learned like, no, this is the code you write to make a website look like this. And here's the things you can do to make things do this and do that. I was like, that literally came out of nothing. And like, I think that's what in the back of my head, like that being able to be creative and do anything you want by just having the knowledge of writing code. Um, and then being able to be creative in a design perspective and kind of melding those two together. Um, I don't know. It just, it, it was, it just consumed me. Um, and so, you know, then I figured out that, you know, you can make websites and you can make money out of it. And I was, I was really, into it. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, through specific, you know, projects, which you kind of just touched on, which we'll continue to touch on here in a minute, you went from that pure kind of engineering coding mindset to more of this business mindset as well. What was that transition like? And then, you know, how did you, how did you acquire more shrewd business skills that are, are right. very different than, you know, getting on like a, a computer and writing lines of code? Right. Um, I would say. Cause I'm always in, impressed when people can do both. Yeah. Um, I would say when I was in, 
don't know, back up to like high school. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I was, I, I was never really like the nerdy engineer. Like, I didn't have a good GPA. Like, <laughs> I would, I would, I would be late to school. Like, I would be yeah. late to class. Like, I don't know. Like, I was never really like a nerd by any means. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like I didn't get a scholarship to college. Like, I just knew how to code. And it just yeah. came along the way. Like I just got lucky that my school offered it and they taught it. Um, so that's how I kind of got to be an engineer. But I don't know. I think when I got in college and worked at a software company, that was a really, really small company. And so I had to work one-on-one with clients. And then I also had to go back to the office and write the code to do whatever we just said in the meeting we would do. So I think having that one-on-one interaction with all the clients and managing their expectations and, and really kind of being a salesman in that, in some sense, um, you know, giving them quotes on what an application would cost and all that. I think that kind of geared me in towards it. Um, but then after college, when I worked at, at Hydro, you know, I was, I was kind of thrown into the ringer there. Like I had to lead an engineering team, but then I also had to go speak at conferences that, you know, some of the largest banks in the world are putting on. Uh, yeah. and like, I was nervous at some of those to start, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, standing up in front of 500, 750,000 people. And like using my engineering background, but I also have to be kind of business minded and sales minded in that sense. So I guess just getting out and doing it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 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 Did you have, you know, mentors for that side of your life? For sure. Cause I think that's um, one of the best ways, mm-hmm. you know, I learn, you know, sales. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mentors. So Lamar Wilson, I mean, he, he was the founder of Hydro. Uh, he's an advisor of our company now. Um, mm-hmm. But like he, he's my biggest mentor, like from business, not even like business, just life too. Um, but like, I can re- remember, like it was probably one of the first conferences I did. Like he just hypes you up. Like, yeah. He has this mentality of just hyping you up. If you know him, like if you don't look him up, you probably find videos of him. But like he just gets you hype, and no matter yeah. what the situation is, and he just instills confidence. Very jolly you. guy. Yeah, like I met him at an airport. Yeah, uh, on the way to CES or uh, maybe TechCrunch. I forget which one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he just knows how to make the, he won't mind if the I room say smile. Say this because he says it all the time. He's he's a to paint a picture. He's a four hundred pound, seven foot tall black man, <laughs> and he has the best. He's like the coolest smile ever. He's the coolest yeah. dude. Yeah. He's a big teddy bear. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to business and just like outlook on life, he he like has it down. Um, and he taught me something like this. Kind of answers that question. He always taught to not like never have any fear, mm-hmm. like going into anything. Um, so when I would, when I would have to go into a conference, like I'm just an engineer, I'm not a salesperson, but like, he's like, don't have any fear. Just go in and just be you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I kind of preach that to some of my employees now and, you know, people I come in, in contact with, that just ask for advice, like in business, like entrepreneurship, literally no fear at all. Like just go after something. Yeah. Go fail, honestly. Yeah. No, I can uh, I can say that from personal experience too. When I was working on away game with uh, Michael Fioretti, actually, who was at Hydro too. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. We we went over and talked to him a couple times, and you know we could go in like shit, none of this is working out, and you'd walk out being like, I'm ready to eat a cracker for the next four days, and <laughs> and, like, and just build this shit. Yeah, uh, and he he just had that quality about him. Is like super or does still have that quality about him? Just yeah, like super inspiring. Yeah. So, so you were working on, uh, let's go back to kind of where you are now. Let's circle back. We talked a little more high level there about the past. Um, but you're working on tech 29 and then you were working on another project, Evan, that your, uh, your cousin Madison was involved with at that time as well. 
You want to talk about Watch Studio at all? Yeah, we touched on that real quick. So I think it's interesting. Yeah. I think it's, you know, we often talk about the subscription model on this podcast because, you know, everything, a lot of, most of what we do throughout our daily lives will move towards some kind of subscription model. Long on subscription. Um, very long on the subscription model. So uh, when my cousin started telling me that he was signing people up for a subscription watch club, I thought it was interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, so talk about that experience because <laughs> it's definitely yeah. an interesting concept. Now, in reality, well, does it work out that great? Who knows? Yeah, but it, tell us about that. It was definitely an experience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we were doing Tech 29 for, you know, we were probably a year into it. Um, and, you know, had those big clients that I mentioned and, you know, bills were getting paid, like we were making good money, you know, engineers were paying good salaries, like everything was good. And, you know, I said earlier, like my goal was not to be a client-based company, it was to build a product that, yeah. you know, we owned and we could grow and scale. Um, and so our first attack at that was, I was up one night looking online um, and I came across like, I was just looking on Alibaba. <laughs> And I saw that you could like get these watches imported. Like you can design a watch however you want it to the exact specifications and send that in, place an order with a manufacturer in China and import those watches for like $5 a piece. Mm-hmm. This is at the same time that, and they were pretty good quality. Like they weren't like plastic. What was the brand that came up on Instagram that was literally the same? Yeah. So I'll get to that. And they sold. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, right. um, so this yeah, I'll just go right into that. So, like I said, I was looking up on one night. I got this idea, and this is the same time subscription models were uh, very popular, like starting to take off. Yeah. Um, not not just software as a service, but product as a service, um, whether it be clothing or, or whatnot. My wife has like eight, eight, maybe ten different subscription boxes. <laughs> Rent the runway. Like, I'll probably go home tonight, and there will be like Trunk three club. boxes. Yeah. So it's like it was in that moment where it was very popular, um, and I was like. I came across that idea. I could do this with watches. Um, and there was one other company out there that, like, you know, their website was terrible. Like, it just didn't look like they were doing it well. And I was like, with my software background, I know I can build a good platform to just handle it and give a good user experience. Um, and I was like, now I know I can just go to China and import watches for five dollars a piece, yeah. and I'll just sell them, flip them for twenty nine dollars. I'm like, yeah, there we go. That's that's a good margin. I'll, let's do it. So I just went after it and like, I literally was up like from 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. every night on my phone in bed. And my wife was probably like, what is my husband doing on the phone at 2 a.m. <laughs> every night while I'm asleep? <laughs> and, uh, but I was like, I was just looking on Alibaba going through suppliers and yeah. I just hit up. I just I had this like template message. I just hit up every single one of them telling them what I needed. And like a few of them would hit back. And like this one I had a conversation with. It turns out they were the same supplier as MVMT, which sold for a hundred million dollars to a large watch company here in the U.S. Yep. Um, so I literally found the same supplier, this company that just got bought for a hundred million. They were importing their watches from the supplier in China that I just randomly stumbled upon for five um, bucks and charging like a hundred and fifty. Exactly. For... Yeah. And they, they movement probably they had a little higher quality watch. They probably paid like ten dollars, but yeah. the brand is what got bought there for sure. Right. The, right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I was just like, went all in, like, let's, let's do it. Um, I started it for a couple of years. We launched it in December of 20, um, 2017, um, I believe 2017 launched it. Um, we got started getting subscribers in. we're running Facebook ad, Google ads, um, got to like 150 subscribers. A few months in, I reached out to Madison, 
um, Evan's cousin, and you know he was a, he was an intern at Hydro, the previous company. And uh, I was like, hey man, I got this new system I launched. Um, I want you to come on, handle customer support, sales, like all this, um, kind of be the biz dev marketing mind behind it. Mm-hmm. So he came on, brought him in, and. Yeah, month over month, we lost money for about 13 months. <laughs> uh, <laughs> watches, I can, like, after the first one, or after a few, how many people, how many watches does somebody need? Is that kind of the problem you ran yeah. into? So it wasn't really that. Like, people, when they get a subscription box, like, they don't need it. Yeah. Like, yeah. People that can afford paying monthly for something, like recurring, if it's clothing or whatever it is, like, they don't need it. But mm-hmm. they just get it because it's cool and like the excitement of getting something new. That yeah, month. yeah. Like and watch was, enthusiasts. Yeah, that yeah. was kind of like the psychological play we were thinking would work. Um, and we got to like 150 subscribers, which that was decent. Yeah. The problem was with our suppliers, manufacturers, you had to order at least 500 watches. <laughs> so if you do the math there and calculate the taxes that you pay, which halfway through, um, our president introduced a tariff on imports yeah. from China. So <laughs> we had to start paying, you know, it, it was like a 10% tariff on everything we imported. So that just kind of yeah. margin more. So it was like nothing was going right the whole time through. Um, mm-hmm. And ultimately about 13 months in, we shut it down. And that was the, the end of the watch. Yeah. Um, when was that that you shut it down? That was, uh, um, I guess it was January. Uh, it was January of this year. Yeah, year, yeah. We did fade it out towards the middle to end of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, we had subscribers that were expecting watches. So we had to yeah. continue ordering watches and losing money to satisfy them. What was the biggest learning you had from a B2C perspective, selling to consumers? Because, I mean, yeah, right so, now you're selling B2B. You were selling B2B. Right. What was your biggest learning from that? <laughs> uh, B2C is a bear. Um, one thing I learned mm-hmm. that selling a product at $29 when that product is usually a hundred dollars or more, like a typical watch, the clientele that you'll get is not like the demographic, <laughs> I should say, is not, you know, a customer that like, a, it's not a strong customer. Um, yeah. You, it, you a get, lot of customer support questions. Customer support <laughs> questions we got were just like, <laughs> unbelievable. We saw some of that food. Sounds like we were technically, yeah, yeah, we were technically like B to B to C, and so like we had people. I mean, we were giving away free stuff on Twitter, right? So we were hitting probably very similar, very similar demo. (laughs) And I was uh, on the marketing side, so I got to see all those come in. Yeah, so much fun. That's kind of what I learned from the B to C community is like you have to be careful with like what's the demographic. like looking back, like I don't know if I want to have start another B2C company. Uh, yeah. If I did, that would definitely be something I was very um, aware about, like thinking mm-hmm. through the, the business strategy. Yeah. When you were winding that down, it was around the same time you came up with Lead Rilla, right? It was. Talk about talk yeah. about that. So we shut it down a little earlier than we came up with the idea for Lead Rilla. Um, but like, I think I hit a point where like I was, you know, I was just by myself thinking about, you know, the product we have and like how much money we lost like because it, it, it was a pretty substantial amount. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the fortunate thing, you know, I was fortunate that we had clients that were paying bills. Um, but it, it, it hit this point where like, okay, here's X amount of money we've lost. Clearly this isn't going to go into anything. It's not going to grow. Um, and I just started thinking back to like, you know, what was, when I started this, what was my motive? 
Um, and I think the, like the biggest problem is like I was chasing money like when I started the watch studio. Yeah. Um, like straight, like I don't care about watches like at all. I don't know anything about them. Like I just, I was like, oh, I get a watch for $5 and flip it for 29 all right, cool. And yeah, that's like an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset. But like, I was just chasing money, um, and I think that was that was the whole problem. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of hit that point where we were phasing it out, and you know, we, we didn't really know what product we were going to build next. But I knew in the back of my head that like I wasn't going to chase just like making money, and like that's not how you build a company. Um, mm-hmm. I just happened to learn that the hard way. Um, so I, you know, I wanted to find first find a problem and then chase a solution. Um, and, you know, I didn't really, still didn't know what that was. And I guess it was towards the end of 2018, um, about this time last year, I have two, two brothers that are in, in are insurance agents. Um, they sell insurance for um, a large insurance company. They do pretty well. Um, and my oldest brother lives down in Florida. And I was down there visiting. I think we were playing in a golf tournament or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just talking about his business and, you know, what his day-to-day looks like, how his business works. Um, and, like, for insurance agents, their whole business works off leads, um, getting leads, whether they're generated um, via phone or via um, direct mail or Internet leads. Like, there's all these different ways they do it. The core of uh, Kyle's business, my oldest brother, is – through direct mail leads. That's it, almost his whole company. Like, it's almost all direct mail. Um, and what that is, is there's a, a company that sends out cards to yep. houses around, you know, in all these different counties throughout the country. And it's, you know, highlights insur- life insurance, like different types of policies. And there's people out there that literally take a pen, write down their information and mail it back in. <laughs> and, like he's explaining to this meeting. You can imagine like my head is like blowing up, like, People How does really, this still exist? People still function like this. Um, and like, so they were going to that and I started asking like, what about internet leads, like Facebook ads and all this? And, you know, he was like, there's, you know, there's several lead companies out there that do it. Um, you know, a lot of them are sketchy. Like, you know, here's a, and they just walked me through the whole process. So I heard all these pain points that, that my brother had. Um, and that just kind of sparked like in the back of my head. I was like, well, let me try to generate some leads for you online. Um, I'll just run Facebook ads. Um, step back to the watch studio. The watch studio, all we did was run Facebook ads to get people to sign up for our subscription. Yeah. So before the watch studio, I had no idea how to run ads online. Um, so like in retrospect, it's funny how things always line up to how they mm-hmm. should be. Um, even if it's a failure, like I wouldn't have been able to have, you know, the knowledge to generate leads for my brother if I didn't, you know, go through 13 months of failing the watch studio yeah. <laughs> to get there. So like that was that, and you know, I started looking into it, doing research. Um, had some of the guys on my team start doing research. Madison, we started hitting up insurance agents uh, around the country on LinkedIn. Just hit them up, told them what we're trying to do, um, and just started having conversations. Um, we probably had a hundred or two hundred calls with agents, um, or at least some kind of conversation, whether it's a LinkedIn message. And we just told them what we were doing, and we just listened and asked questions. Um, and we just kept hearing these same pain points over and over. Um, and the agents were telling us this. We weren't bringing them up. So that's when I knew. I was like, okay, I think we have, we definitely have a problem here. Now, can we build something to, to solve it? Um, and so I just started working with my brother, um, his boss, uh, who is a VP in that, in that insurance company. 
So they're pretty high up. Um, mm-hmm. And I just started working directly with them. We started running ads on Facebook, generating, you know, high intent leads uh, for people that are actively looking for life insurance. Um, those would come in, we'd send them to them and be like, here, we just gave them to them for free. Like, Hey, go around and see if they work. And they worked, um, like within the first week or two. And that's when we're like, okay, that, yeah. we're on to something. So we just started this whole thing. We just started doing that, generating more leads and more leads. Um, and it got to this point where we realized that we could automate this entire process, um, and generate leads to where we can be completely hands off. And we can allow insurance agents, no matter where they are in the country, to log on to Leadrilla, our platform, and choose um, what type of leads they want, life insurance, where they're located, how many they want per week, and put a card on file and just turn it on. And our system automatically goes to Facebook and turns on ads for that product, whatever life insurance product it is, mm-hmm. in their in their area, so in those zip codes. Yeah. So those leads comes in, they instantly get pushed to that agent. We send yeah. text messages to connect the agent with the client. So this whole system of automating that was our idea. Um, so in January, we started building that. In April, we launched it. Um, became a Facebook partner, of course, by April um, before the launch. So that gave us all access to um, their APIs and all of that. Yeah. Um, and then from then, it's just been signing on new insurance agents uh, constantly since April um, mm-hmm. and just building trust. And there's there's a lot, there's a huge lot bigger vision here it's mm-hmm. not just selling insurance agents um which we can get into that if you guys want the, the, the grand vision yeah let's talk about that in a minute i think for now i'm just like really interested in how the platform itself works so i'm assuming it's all online it's not like software that you have to download right correct yeah completely yeah, online leave Cool. So leadrilla.com, we'll say that like five more times, make sure people know where to go. <laughs> um, so if I'm an insurance agent, I go there, I just put in, you know, I buy the subscription or whatever. I put in um, what kind of leads I want, the geography, all that stuff. And then you're literally plugged into the Facebook marketing API and you, do you dynamically generate content for them or, you know, what are, what ads yeah. are you actually creating? And then, you know, how does that, agent get yeah, their name so, out there or is it just the lead that doesn't right. necessarily have their name connected to it yeah so the agents we work for um or the agents that are buying our uh, our software they they sell a certain type of insurance uh, yep. life insurance so you know one for example is final expense so they sell this product to seniors um mm-hmm. really any age 50 to 85 years old um, and basically what this policy does is it it's like a twenty to $30,000 policy that covers their uh, funeral cost and, you know, yep. just their final, everything that involves the final expenses. Um, and it's a pretty affordable policy for seniors. Basically, so when they pass away, their family doesn't have to, you know, pay for those expenses. Yep. Um, so that's just, that's one type of product. So we, we build ads um, geared towards that, that are focused on that. Um, and have language around it, you know, kind of how it works in a very generic sense. And yeah. we blast those out, you know, across the country. Um, but the way we've configured our Facebook ad account um, is to the point where an agent, they could be in Spokane, Washington, uh, or a small town in Georgia. Like no matter where they are, they can come onto our system and tell us they need final expense leads. They need 20 mm-hmm. leads a week. And here's their card. And they turn it on. And as soon as they turn that on, our system, it goes through our algorithms that goes directly to Facebook and turns on the ad in Spokane, Washington. 
mm-hmm. and we know for that agent, we, we have this agent that needs 20 leads a week. So we know based on the performance of our ads in Spokane, Washington, what type of daily budget we need to run with those ads yep. to get enough lead to get 20 leads in a necessary period. Um, and yeah. so at scale, you know, you have, you could have hundreds of agents in one area all buying leads mm-hmm. and our algorithms handle that calculation for the daily budget to make sure mm-hmm. that it can generate, you know, that amount of leads in a seven day period for all those agents. Is um, there any risk of saturating a market like Spokane, for example, that's yeah, not absolutely. huge? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the good thing about it is when, when we do hit saturation in areas, um, you know, our platform is, it's called pay per lead. So mm-hmm. they don't pay us up front for, you know, yeah. if it's 10 leads at $10 a piece, they don't pay us a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. They put a card on file and we don't charge it. We start running the ads. We start paying for the ads, but we don't charge their card until a lead comes in. So a lead comes in, Facebook hits our servers with API and we go find that agent, connect them. We charge our card $10. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, it's a pay per lead model. So even if there's a case where there is saturation, um, and we have hit that in some, some cities in the U S because it's pay per lead, the agents aren't, they don't have their money sitting out there so they can take yep. their budget and go, go spend it with other lead vendors elsewhere, um, and make sure they can get their leads. That's something that was one big thing that sets us apart. Um, almost every lead vendor out there, especially internet lead vendors, they, um, they collect the money up front. So you order in batches. So you have to order 20 leads up front or 50 leads up front. Um, and if they are, if they're in a case where it's saturated, you know, the agents kind of, you know, just sitting there with their money out, not getting any leads. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, <clears throat> super interesting model. And I think it really hit me because I was, I was following it, you know, from, from the very beginning, we've gotten lunch a few times and you keep telling me about it, but what really hit me was, you're really taking a part of their lives that they know nothing about, but have to do, which is lead generation, especially in today's age, yep. you know, on Facebook, they, they have no education in it whatsoever. And that's what their job literally is dependent on is constant leads. Right. Exactly. Um, so really, really hit me was the fact that you're automating that part of their lives that one, they have no knowledge about two, most people don't want to ever have to do that. Right. And the three, you're just giving them a great user interface to just make it easy right. as hell for them to just log in yep. and get a lead feed. I love the idea of a lead feed. Uh, makes a ton of sense. We'll talk about the progress you guys have made so far. It sounds like you guys are doing pretty well. Yeah, um, very well. Uh, we're hiring, <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's always good. Nice. Um, yeah, we launched in April, and like, you know, it's, it was all going good, like from January to April, and then we were like getting up to that launch day, and we launched the platform and like blasting emails out, and then like in the office, we're sitting there and we're like, all right, we're live. Stuff's about to start rolling through. And like the next day, nothing came through. The next week, nothing came through. Like the next week, maybe a few transactions. Like it took so long mm-hmm. to like start to see it. And we started to doubt like, is this thing actually going to work? Um, and it was actually a really low point in our company because we had to drop all our clients for Tech 29 uh, back in January because we wanted to go full out at this product. Um, and so like it was this really low point and then about June, uh, about middle of June is where we really started to see some traction. Um, and then from June, we probably had a hundred insurance agents and, um, last week, um, towards the end of September, we, we surpassed a thousand agents. Um, wow. so just kind of month over month, we've been seeing growth. Um, so what do you been, attribute to that? What's your marketing look like there to, is it word of honestly, mouth? Honestly, it's, it's word of mouth. Yeah. That's what I figured. Um, so we, we've gotten the support of 
two large insurance companies. Um, each of them have well over 2,000 agents. One has close to 5,000 agents. Um, and it's just word of mouth. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like starting out, you know, what our, if you think about our product, like it's something completely new to this market. Um, all these lead vendors generate leads and they do it with Facebook ads and the insurance agents understand that. Um, but what we, we've built this software platform that does it in a completely new way. So our sales strategy, like we're selling something to people that they don't know they need and they don't know could ever exist. So mm -hmm. it's like a, it's, it's like this uh, psychological path that we have to get through with our customers. Like you need this, this is the value it adds, go use it and then you'll see it. Um, yeah. so it's just like building trust. And I think that's why it took a little while to take off. But once it did, they started talking about it, you know, in their offices when they're with yeah. each other. And, uh, yeah, we get, we're just getting signups left and right now. So it's been really promising. And that's one of the great things about being a B2B company too. And you provide such value, the, the networks are smaller than you think, and you can start to right. plug in and just scale from there. Right. So, but where do you go beyond insurance agents? You had mentioned kind of a grand vision. I'm sure there's a lot of people right, who need yeah. all kinds of leads. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if, if we stick in the market of just insurance in that niche, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a cap to that. Um, there's about 1.4 million licensed insurance agents in the country, um, which that is a pretty big market. <laughs> um, but like that's, you know, that's a cap and we don't really want that. Um, so you, you notice like our, like Lead Rilla has nothing to do with insurance, the name of it. Yeah. Um, and any of our marketing has nothing to do with insurance. Um, because we build our platform in a way that we can launch this in other industries. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll launch in real estate, we'll launch in the travel industry, um, legal work uh, for lawyers, um, and even in you know financial loans and stuff like that. There's a lot of regulations in some of those, um, but insurance was just our niche up front. Um, so we will launch in other um, in other industries in the next hopefully six to 12 months. Um, but insurance is just kind of our niche and where we got started. Yeah. Um, another thing, and really the, the grand vision, um, of course we go to all these other um, industries, but you know, we really, honestly, we don't want to be the lead vendor. We just want to be the software. Mm -hmm. um, and what we've built to automate it with, with Facebook ads and with, um, with Google ads and having landing pages and all these, these funnels where you send users through. Um, yep. Like we've automated all that stuff, but we really don't want to be the ones generating the leads. Um, there's a lot of good lead vendors out there um, that don't have the software that we have that automates it. So they have a lot of manual work they have to do. Uh -huh. um, so what we're doing now is working with lead vendors, working with consumer data companies. Um, we've been working with Axiom um, and Claritas to some of the largest consumer companies, uh, consumer data companies in the world um, to ultimately build this marketplace where we can allow vendors to come in as lead sellers. Mm -hmm. And we already have the agents on the other end because we've built that trust with them and the way we've yeah. done business so far. Um, and then we have data companies, so the, all those third parties. And we sit as a middleman facilitating a marketplace that can be trusted by the end user, the agents. Um, mm -hmm. And really the whole root of the problem here, like what we're trying to solve is the fact that there are so many lead vendors out in the world and 90% of them are sketchy. Um, you know, they'll sell leads that they say they're exclusive. 
Um, mm-hmm. But really, they're like copying them from other lists and putting them in a list and selling them to an agent at full price. Yeah. Um, and for the agent, like, it's, they're, it's completely out of their control to determine whether a lead vendor is, you know, lying or not. They have no way to look it up. So our goal is to have this marketplace where we can do due diligence on lead vendors, let them sell their leads in our platform. We leverage our data partners to validate that data, make sure it's real, make sure the people they're pushing in are real, make sure they're not duplicates so that they haven't been sold before in our platform. Mm-hmm. So creating that trusted marketplace is going to allow us to go out and get insurance agents to buy leads from us. We basically become a eBay marketplace for leads. Um, and that can be scaled into any industry. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, insurance is just where we're starting. Yeah, that's badass. Yeah. You guys, uh, sounds like you get some, you guys got case studies yet? Sounds like, you know, if you're building trust, that's a great way to do it. You guys yeah. have some good case studies yet? Um, a little bit. Most of us is just directly working with. <laughs> with these agents. Um, that's our full focus right now is just making sure that they're happy. Um, because if we just know if they're happy and we add value now, they're not going to leave, Like they're going to keep ordering from us. They have to, they have to have leads for their business. If we do it in a good way and we're, you know, we have good customer support, we have a good platform for them to use. They're not going to go away. Yeah. Word of mouth is the dream there. Yeah. Right. I mean, your best salesman are your customers. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Talk about, um, you built this company in Lexington. Let's kind of transition yeah. here. Uh, you built this company in Lexington. You've been in Lexington for a while now. Talk about, let's talk about the ecosystem here. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that, uh, let's start with some things that can improve. Um, what are some things that you've noticed that need some improvement uh, while you've been scaling and building these companies? Yeah. Um, I think... I will say we've gotten better in the past few years um, from when I first got into Lexington and to where Lexington is now. Um, like things, like all stuff Awesome Inc. is doing is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like I haven't been in here in forever. I think I was in here like probably two years ago. Um, we're recording in here now. We walk through the front. Like everything's been redone. Like um, and they, they teach code like to all these different ages of people and like all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like that's that stuff has added value. Like I can see it now to the city of Lexington. That's going to continue to go. Um, and one thing, like this is one thing I think Lexington lacks that it may just be due to, um, you know, us getting into the tech scene over the past few years is senior talent um, from an engineering perspective and design perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just tough to find really, really good experienced um, talent. Um, and when you do find that talent around here, it, in my experience, they're not really as driven as a senior level talent that you'll find yeah. out in the Valley. Um, you know, you can find senior level talent out in the Valley, uh, maybe a full stack engineer that's been doing it for s- six, seven years, and they're still willing to work like 70, 80 hours a week <laughs> to, yeah. to pump a product out. And that's, I think that's, that's a cultural thing. I think. It is. It, I mean, it's a bubble out there. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't think, I don't know if it would be healthy for Lexington to get that. <laughs> um, but I, it is something, you know, I noticed just in my experience. Um, yeah. yeah, it can be, it can be frustrating, but you know, you gotta, gotta, gotta after, through doing the podcast and through talking to so many people in town, it's like, you gotta take a step back and realize, yeah. you know, Lexington is so early. It is. You know, like awesome. It's only been around for 10 years and that sounds like a lot, a long time for, for some people, but in the startup space, like that's a baby. 
especially when you're creating a community out of nothing. Yeah. 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 And so like, while we sit here and we say what can improve and, you know, it's important to talk about these things and people got to take a step back and realize like what you said, you know, it's, it's not Silicon Valley. There's not, that culture is not here yet. Um, So the talent thing, while it's frustrating in the short term and people complain about it, it is what it is. And we got to do something about it. So Um, I mean, on the other end of that, let's talk about what, Lexington's doing good. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It's, yeah. And it is something, it's something that will lead to senior talent down the road um, is education. Uh, and like, you know, for me, just personally, like if I didn't have the education in high school, like I would, there's no way I'd be where I am today. Like if I didn't have the, yeah. those two web courses I took in high school, mm-hmm. if, my, if my school just didn't happen to offer it, like no way I'd be where I am today. That's what got me into it. Just, you know, just consumed by it. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, Lexington is is really going after that. Um, I mean, awesome ink. Awesome ink. Definition. You know, UK is starting to do a better job. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Education's definitely one of the most important things. Yeah. I would love to be able to see, and it may be, I don't know if it is or not, but like in the school system starting yeah. very early on, um, a part of the curriculum, mandatory. Um, I think that's something that could really push, you know, a community like Lexington, you know, 10, 15 years from now, you have, kids coming out of high school yeah. or even in high school, like freshman, sophomore, like starting to think about how they can start a business in this community. Yeah. I always get so mad at myself because in seventh grade I had a coding course. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I thought it was so cool. I was building websites you know, I was making yeah. landing pages and I was never told why I needed to learn it. I was never told why it was important. And I wasn't, I was in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. So I didn't have <laughs> yeah. anything to look to and say, wow, yeah. you know, this is actually going to become something. Yeah. And I stopped it after that one class, <laughs> but I loved it. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I did some like robotics classes, but I never kept going. Yeah. So I, you know, like what you said, I think it's really important that, you know, schools, companies like Awesome Inc. just continue to get people involved in the you know, tech space, but specifically coding. Right. Yeah. Yep. So where do you see Lexington in like, five to 10 years in the, you know, startup scene there. Mm. It's a big question. I mean, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Predicting the future. Uh, I mean, I think if you look back five years ago, look at the, the portfolio of companies we had here and now look at where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, just, it's insane how far it's come uh, just from the time when I got here. And I, I wasn't really involved in the community when I got here. Um, so, I mean, I can clearly tell like in that time period, like it's, there's been dramatic change. So from now looking forward five years, I think that's going to be the same, if not exponentially more, where there's more companies here. Um, and I think the root of it comes down to education. Um, yeah. I mean, that that's just, that's what I believe in. Yeah. Yeah, I think it. one thing I like to look at and, and use to predict the future is kind of what you said, is I look at the portfolio of companies and I look who's leaving those companies. Because maybe, you know, like, you know, Hydro or Hydro, yeah. sorry. Uh, Hydro, a lot of talent came out of that. And, and yeah. Nate, you worked with that that talent. And, and mm-hmm. you know, Kobe, you're working with that talent. And Fuji got some talent from there. Yeah. And then Fuji becomes a great company and develops a lot of this great talent in town. Yeah. And then they leave Fuji. And it just like is this mushroom effect of, you know, the more companies that are in town doing cool things, whether they're, you know, really becoming successful or not, 
they're setting the groundwork yeah. for this talent and this kind of ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, Lead Rilla has ex Fuji. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, when yeah, when a lot of our engineers left Fuji, I hit up Madison. I'm like, hey, I know you and Kobe are yeah. over there working on some stuff. You, you're going to so, want to like meet these guys. These are some of the most sure. talented engineers in town. And I yeah. know that for a fact, yeah. like, you need to talk to these guys. Just talking about this here, like that makes me realize like just now, like even when people come and like people come and go from company to company all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I think something that Lexington has that's really strong is when people leave a company here, they don't want to move away from Lexington. Like if you live here, you love Lexington. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I got out of college, my wife and I moved here and you know, our whole, our whole goal was to get back to Louisville. Um, but then we lived in Lexington for six months and fell in love with it. And I think that's something really strong. Like all the engineers that, you know, they may go from company to company, but they're not leaving. Um, and that just, I mean, I think that just speaks volumes to Lexington and the community. This is the community we have here. Yeah. You, um, you just mentioned, I want to talk about this cause I think it's important and it's definitely an important part of your life and something that, you know, congratulations on the new baby. Oh yeah. Thanks. Right. And you mentioned your wife and I think, uh, you know, talk to the crowd about what it's like having a newborn baby while you're in the middle of launching a company. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, luckily I have a wife that supports me in every way. Uh, she understands that I'm insane and just a crazy entrepreneur and I work a lot. Um, we started dating when I was, I guess we were we were 16 years old. I mean, it was when I got into the literally when I started my career, started getting into coding. So she's been with me for all that time, 11 or 12 years, um, mm -hmm. and so she understands like you know I work a lot. She understands I have a dream for the future and like for us and for our family. Um, so I would say like balancing family, like she does a lot of that work. <laughs> You know, yeah. I have my, just by supporting, supporting it. Mm -hmm. But for me, um, you know, I work all the time, but there's times when, you know, maybe six o'clock and I have a ton of work left to do. Well, instead of staying at the office, whereas two years ago, I would stay at the office and slept there if I had to. Yeah. Um, nowadays, I'll leave at six, go have dinner and then work from home, just be there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just something that's really important. Um, you know, if you, if you have, a happy life at home, you're going to be much more productive in the work and the yeah. workplace. Um, and yeah, two, three weeks ago, we had our uh, first baby, little baby girl, uh, River Lynn. Congrats, uh, man. Yeah, thank That's you. That's a cool name, River. So, yeah, I haven't River, heard that one. River. Yeah. I like that. Um, so yeah, since then, uh, the wife's been a champ and taking care of River while, while I'm, I'm at work. So yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing about balancing is, especially like if you're married or have kids, like it's like a, it's a team effort. Like it's not like you as the founder cannot just do it on your own. You have to have the, the foundation and the support. Um, and fortunately I have that 